0: listening to the CIPD podcast
1: series. Welcome to the latest CIPD podcast. In this edition, we'll be looking at employer branding, a topic that's creating a real buzz within HR at the moment. It's the potential that employer branding offers to position organisations as employers of choice that's getting people really excited. By using some of the techniques associated with branding and marketing, organisations can enhance their efforts to recruit, retain and motivate the right employees to drive business performance. Now, we're increasingly seeing HR teaming up with colleagues in marketing and other departments to deliver competitive advantage for their organisations through employer branding. In this podcast, we'll be taking a close look at retail home improvement giant B&Q. They've been working very hard on developing their employer brands, so we went and spoke to people across the organisation about what it all means to them. First, I chatted with Deborah Fernand, the CIPD's Organisation and Resourcing Advisor, who's leading the CIPD's research into this subject. I asked her why is employer branding such a big issue and what is HR's role in it?
2: Well, that's a really good question because uh, at, at the moment, one of the biggest challenges for organisations is this war for talent, if you like. So there's this real challenge to get the right people in, in your organisation to, to deliver the best for your organisation, give best performance. And as such, employer branding and attracting those people to your organisation is a real challenge. So employer branding allows you to attract the best people and have a competitive edge, if you like, in the marketplace. And it's not just about
1: getting people through the door, it's about how they perform when they're actually on the team.
2: Absolutely. And that's the really the, the most important thing. It's not just about recruitment, it's actually about uh, recruitment but then retention and, um, and engagement. So making sure that um, once you've uh, had that employee deal, if you like, and you've secured the, 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 the best or the great people for your organisation, it's making sure that you live and breathe those brands within the organisation so that people feel an affinity for your organisation and want to give their best within it.
1: So now we've come down to B&Q's headquarters, which is at Chandler's Ford on a business park near Southampton. We're going to be talking to a number of people here who've been involved in working on the employer brand project. And the first man I'm going to go and see is Nathan Clements. He's head of organisational development in the HR department. How did B&Q get interested initially in the idea of working on employer brand
3: b is a very, very successful organisation and has been, but it's been working a, a specific model in what we've done and what we've recognised is actually the market is changing, so there are only so many kind of big warehouses you can have out in operation before you kind of have, um, you know, saturation, you reach saturation point. The opportunity, therefore, becomes what's what are the customers looking for now? And there's been a real shift in that. And if you're going to do that effectively from a corporate and um, commercial point of view, then you need to take your, your people with you, um, not only because they're... They're part of the um, the tools that you're going to deliver the, the promise by to your customers, but equally they're the people who are going to d- define what that future looks like and what the customers need and, and, and want
1: so how did you set about doing this? Where did you start?
3: It came off the back of being very clear about what we are about as an organization so there's a there's a very clear vision that we're trying to aspire to our ambition is to be first and only for home improvement. What that means is to be the first place people think of and secondly the only place people need to go to and when you get that when you get that sense and you define it like that, all of a sudden that opens up a world of possibility. B&Q has traditionally been known as a kind of a DIY organisation, which has been typically blokey, kind of dusty sheds, that kind of stuff that we all know and love. Um, And that will always be a core part of our business. But actually, there's been a change in the the market and a movement more away from DIY into uh, do it for me. Can you help me with this project? I know what I want to achieve, but I'm not actually sure how I'm going to achieve that. And Part of that strand of thinking has come from the feminisation of the organisation. 80% of the decisions, buying decisions on home improvement projects are typically made by the female of the household.
1: So this was very much about differentiation for you, differentiating yourself from the competition and making both customers and potential employees understand exactly what it was that you were offering.
3: Yeah, it's about redefining the market, redefining the opportunity. Um, to, we have about 60% market share of the DIY market, which is great. But actually, when you reframe it and you de- define it as um, home improvement, then we have about six or seven percent of the market share. All of a sudden, it, it becomes a lot. Uh, there's a lot more opportunity to grow.
1: As we've said, employer branding can't just be about HR. I talked to Sam Dixon, B&Q's marketing director, about marketing's role. So, when B and Q first took the decision corporately to to set their minds yeah. to their employer brand and to distinguish it from just the, the brand which the you know the organisation has obviously been nurturing for years, yeah. what was your input at that stage? What what did marketing bring to the party?
0: For me. There's a collaborative approach, which is the first thing, because our customers will touch the brand, the b q brand, in a number of ways. One of the ways is through actually buying products um, or completing a project or talking to our store colleagues. But there are a number of different other ways that you touch the brand. Actually, I want to be employed by them, so I'm touching a recruitment ad, um, or I'm actually working in the business, so I'm touching it from that perspective. And one of the things that um, nathan and myself have been doing is actually really trying to make sure that everything is knitted together so that it's
1: consistent for the people that touch the brand b&q isn't alone in exploring the potential of employer branding if you'd like to know more about other organizations approach to the subject then take a look at the case studies featured in the cipd's latest no-nonsense guide on employer branding you can get a free download at cipd.co.uk slash guides The guide also shows you how to articulate what it is that makes your organisation unique, helping you to define your employer brand. I asked Deborah Furnham for some further insights into what the CIPD's research tells us about employer branding. It's great in theory, isn't it? But as you say, if you're trying to differentiate yourself as as a bank... How do you do that because
2: essentially they 're all pretty much like for like aren 't they so what is your brand? How do you sure. define it uh, I mean that 's a really good question as well and 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 that 's one of the reasons we kind of looked into to creating this uh no nonsense uh you know employer branding guide to help people with that um to identify your employer brand, I mean, organisations already have one. They might mightn't realise, but they actually already do. And and the way about um, going about kind of understanding it, if you like, is not only to talk to your leadership team, your actual employees, and as well uh, your potential employees out in the marketplace, and see see how people um, view you, and then. Once you've kind of received those uh, uh, the key stakeholder understandings, it's about then um, defining which are those things that make uh, your organisation unique and, um, and what you want to publicise. and Sam Dixon talks us through how she sees that theory being put into practice. Whether
0: you are a law firm, you are a toothbrush, you are, you know, a toothpaste, you know, a holiday camp, what you've got is a set of principles and a set of gifts for the customer, as it were, that actually you're sharing with them and that you can consistently give them so that they experience the same thing every time. And then what they drive is loyalty with that brand.
1: So people need to sit down... And think about how they're perceived, how their organisation, what it does, what it offers, is perceived by all the people it touches, employees, customers, colleagues, people in other firms, and, and work up from there. Absolutely. So what does that actually mean for B&Q? I asked Nathan Clements to explain their approach.
3: We got very quickly to a strategy, and we defined the strategy as a four-three-three strategy. Now, that's a bit of jargon, but what it means to us is uh, for-sell, so, um, and that's all about day-to-day selling and make sure we put the money in the till um, through great service and having the right proposition. Uh, the, the first of the three is called Three and Reinvent, which is about reinventing our proposition. And what that means is effectively more jargon. It's the look and feel of the organisation, how we present ourselves to the customer and how we deliver on our promises. And the final three is Three Change, which is about recognising that to do what we need to do, we need to take our people with us as they're going to be either the leaders of change or the kind of the, um, part of the army that kind of delivers on our promises.
1: Well, as you say, your people are very central to this whole process. How did... HR approach that? I mean, what, what do they actually... What has it meant for your people?
3: B&Q is, um, is a great organisation and HI is right at the centre of um, the business strategy. So we were hand in glove with the organisation in terms of defining what the strategy was about and making sure that our proposition in, to our employees represented that. So very quickly after the d- strategy was set, we did a big piece of work about the communication of that and pushing that forward.
1: So if I was a b employee... How how would this impact on me?
3: If you're on the shop floor, your experience would be you'd get, be getting very, very clear messaging about what, what it was you were required to do. Um, and that would all be structured um, very overtly around behind the 433 strategy. So every communication that we send, every uh, every form that we create, it's all structured around the, the, that strategy. Why is that important? Well, People have busy lives and there's a lot of noise in the system. The one thing that's made the difference to us and has made the real difference to, the, to, to a typical shop floor employee is just that crystallisation of the message. So 433, this is what it's about. So worry about the day job, worry about bringing the sales in. You're going to get impacted by, and you're going through some pain with regard to change because we are revamping our estate, but ultimately it's going to require us all to, to change our behaviours and our approach to service, which is the ultimate end point of a, of a great customer experience.
0: You're listening to the CIPD podcast
1: series. As b and business engagement manager, Caroline Jones is at the front line of delivery. I talked to her about what she's doing on employer branding. Tell me where you fit into this whole process.
4: Okay, well, I'm business engagement manager, so um, I sit within the organisation development team in HR. And my team are responsible um, for employee engagement. We run a twice-yearly survey for all of our employees across the business. We also produce in-house publications, um, and we also arrange face-to-face meetings for leadership teams across the business, so annual conference, strategy roadshows, and our strategy updates. So what does the brand mean in practical terms for someone who works for
1: B&Q? How is their experience different now, perhaps, say, to what it would have been 15 years ago before this was so, so thought of in such detail?
4: I think that employees will be closer to what we're trying to achieve for our customers. Um, an example of that will be um, last year we held a briefing session for all of our employees across the business, which was the first for B&Q. So we actually briefed 39,000 employees in the space of two days Um, about our Colours brand relaunch which was our decorative range that we were relaunching externally for our customers and we actually spent time with our employees explaining the journey that B&Q had made from moving from DIY to home improvement market some of the newness and innovation in the product which was coming into our stores and also how we were going to be marketing it through a new let's do it campaign um, externally with our customers. Um, So we were really getting our employees closer to and more enthusiastic in the product that we were selling and helping explain how we were trying to broaden the reach of our brand within the consumer group. Have you found that to be the case and how do you measure it? We've been measuring employee engagement for about the last seven and a half years. We we measure engagement through a twice-yearly survey. A positive thing for B&Q is that we have yet to see any survey fatigue or response rates are the highest they've ever been, as are our engagement levels.
1: You have developed a range of tools to communicate the brand to the people who work for and with B&Q. Tell, tell me about those.
4: We do various things. I mentioned earlier um, the publications that we run. We also um, do a session in SSO, our our head office, called Walk the Talk, where we'll get our board members to do a presentation to SSO employees, and then we'll follow that up with a walk of our merchandising lab, where they can actually see the new ranges which are coming into stores, speak to some of the buyers, the category managers, get close close to the product that the customer's going to be seeing, get a better understanding of the business. What about people people right down at the bottom of the ladder.
1: New people walking onto the shop floor in a very junior role. Are they involved in this process? Do they have an opportunity to feed back?
4: They do. We're just trying to reappoint our new um, MD. Um, But we did have, um, with Ian Cheshire when he was in charge, um, a session called Cheshire Chat, where Ian would actually go out into stores every other month and meet with a group of, say, 15 employees, a complete mix of people, and just speak to them about the business, give them the opportunity to talk about um, things that they thought that B&Q should do more of or less of. Um, A kind of a constructive criticism sort of a forum where he could get ideas and keep his finger on the pulse of what was going on in the business so that he really understood what was happening at the sharp end so the feedback hadn't been sanitised for him.
1: And Obviously, it's great when really senior management get down onto the shop floor and talk to people, but do you find that junior staff particularly, and even middle-ranking people, are are quite brave enough to really say what they think to to someone as senior as as a CEO or, or a senior director?
4: Absolutely. I've been in some of the sessions myself, just um, sort of supporting by doing some note-taking. I think a lot of it has to do with how the senior manager actually sets the tone of the meeting. But from my experience, it's been extremely relaxed, very informal, no set agenda, and people genuinely felt very, very comfortable to just say what they thought. Now, you've
1: also got something called the Orange Room, which I'm, I'm very interested to go and see, because this is part of the, the kind of day-to-day feeding back of ideas from people throughout the organisation. So it would be great if we could go and have a look at that. Absolutely, no problem. Now, just before we go to the Orange Room, let's remind ourselves of the link between employee engagement and performance. Nathan Clements sums up.
3: Employee engagement is not an end in itself. It's a it's a means to an end, and there are many Businesses that don't value employee engagement in quite the same way, but in employee engagement for us is the second part of a four-step process. The first step being having great talent in the business, and obviously the employee and brand, and the and the brand as a whole is part of that. The second uh, step is employee engagement, making sure you've got your people behind you, clear about what they're required to do, and clear expectations, and making sure we're supporting them. The third piece is is customer experience. So you've got to convert employee engagement into your customer experience. Otherwise, it just becomes a big love-in, um, and the final piece is obviously that converts the ultimate into business performance. So what are the learnings and what are the challenges? Well Getting employee engagement, you can do this through a number of different means. You can create you can create a culture where everyone feels good about themselves, um, and that's very happy, happy, and very, very kind of comfortable. But actually, does that convert into customer experience and ultimately business performance? Well, there are there are examples where it hasn't converted into business performance. So our challenge is and remains converting employment, employee engagement into ultimate business performance.
4: Right, we're just outside the orange room. Meeting is in
1: progress. Yeah, I'm just peeping through the door. It is indeed orange, isn't it? It's a meeting room. It's painted bright orange. As yeah. far as I can
4: see, even... Is the carpet orange? It yeah, is, isn't it? The whole room's orange. Room is orange. orange. <laughs> it has been So what, what happens in there? What is it? Um, this is the room which is used for trading meetings three times a week, um, Monday, Wednesday and Friday. And it's where key players in the commercial floor in our business will have conversations direct with operators, so um, people, either regional managers, store managers, where they'll give direct feedback over issues which stores are facing, maybe in terms of supply, in terms of sales, so it's, and it's something where any issues are actioned almost immediately afterwards, so it's the real trading hub of B&Q, where there's the real interface between SSO and stores. So this is done what via a video link, is it? Uh, by conference call. Okay. So people dial in across the business um, to speak to the key buyers, category managers, supply managers, board directors. So if,
1: if a store manager somewhere feels there's, there's an issue he wants to wear, he can put his hand up and say, can I be added to the list, please, yeah. and Yeah. get a slot.
4: And it's supported by um, a site on Intercom, and also there are minutes that come out of the meetings, and there's immediate action is expected or very quick follow-up on any of the trading issues which arise.
1: So that's rather nice, isn't it? So it isn't one of those places where you have a meeting and nothing happens for a few months. It's, yeah. It's it's instantaneous. It
4: is. This is a fairly new initiative. It's probably been in place for about 18 months, two years. How's it settling? Very well, very well.
1: One person who uses the Orange Room is Mark Howard. He's store manager at B&Q's branch in Havent. Hiya. Mark, hello. Hello, Thanks very much for coming. in. no problem. I wanted to get his views on employee communications between the stores and head office.
5: We have a very good system to communicate up to the centre, yeah.
1: We've just been see the
5: orange yeah. Tell me
1: about that. Have you used that? Oh, yeah. It sounds like that system's working quite well, because it's quite new, isn't it? I think about 18 months it's been up and running, something like that.
5: Something like that, yeah, fairly from new. From your point of view, it really does the job. It. It. If you've got something that you can't find a solution to, and several of your stores within a region or a division are finding a, can't find a solution to it, then that gets an immediate reaction, yeah.
1: Obviously, so we've been talking to a lot of your colleagues here about... Employer brand, what it is, how they've achieved it, how they want to maintain it and build it. What I'm really interested in, I think, at this stage is, you know, what that means to you, because you're working in the business, you're not working in the head office here. You yeah. know, you're, you're out and about. You ha- haven't, I think haven't, you said. Yeah. yeah. So, from the point of view of someone working in a remote building, mm-hmm. has all this made life better for you? Do you feel that, you know, you're able to do your job better and that your people are more engaged and enthusiastic because of all the work that's been done on brand?
5: I think people... People enjoy, you know, they're proud to work for the company, I guess. You know, B&Q is a company that people want to work work for. But also a lot of the things which they're doing with brand-like colours, which is, you know, changing the way the customer perceives being cured and we used to say that we would we sold what was behind the plasterboard but now we're trying to change the brand to sell what we sell is in front of the plasterboard if that makes sense which is all the fixtures and fittings so that we're appealing not just to the builder we also need to appeal to the soft side or what i call what's in front of the plasterboard
1: so all this process has 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 helped make that more possible for you so you can actually kind of do your job better
5: Yes, yes absolutely yeah
1: and would you say that applies to everyone who works with you
5: I think it, it does trickle down, but are there? Is everybody aware that that's the reason? I think some of it just is. I don't know it's almost organic, isn't it? It starts to trickle down, and it happens, and people do change their view of the business.
1: Do all these initiatives that we've talked about, the the, the forums for? taking forward complaints and ideas, the magazines, the, the orange room. Do they all make you, as an individual, feel more enthusiastic about staying at B&Q longer? Do you think you would stay longer because of these things?
5: I think it's one of the things that may... many things... That, I mean, the culture is the main thing that keeps me there, and these things are what create the culture.
1: And do they make you feel more enthusiastic, I suppose, about doing your yeah. job?
5: Well? They do. Yeah, they do, yeah. I mean, the day I stop enjoying it is the day I leave, and that's not happened yet.
1: <laughs> so it sounds like the theory's working. Yeah. That concludes our look at employer branding across B and Q, a story that's shown us the benefits of aligning culture, engagement and expectations. Deborah Fernand sums up the importance of delivering on those expectations.
2: A product is only as good as is your experience with it. So you can you can make all the promises you like with an employer brand at the recruitment stage, but as soon as your employer walks through the door, um, if those um, the, the brand promises and the and the employee um, employer promise isn't lived up to within the organisation, then, then uh, you know, there is absolutely a, a detriment to your company. It is really hard to make sure that it's aligned within your whole organisation. And that's where we talk about employer brand, you know, not just being about recruitment, it's actually about your whole engagement process and the culture of your organisation. So sustaining the brand is a perpetual process, it never ends? No, that's right. It's certainly not static. It's, um, you know, something that, um, you know, probably needs to be refreshed or or revisited, if you like. And I also think it's about having a true commitment to it. People say, oh, well, brand, you know, it's just a logo. Absolutely not. You know, in in this case, you know, you really do have to to ensure that it reflects um, everything within the organisation. As Deborah says, employer branding is an ongoing process, and wherever you are in
1: that process, you'll find more to help you in our guide, Employer Branding a No-Nonsense Approach. Remember, too, that CIPD members can also access our new interactive tool, Employer Branding, Your Online Companion for the Journey. Now, this offers even more practical guidance to help you navigate your way through the employer branding maze. You can get to the guide and the tool, together with other useful information accompanying this programme, at cipd.co.uk slash podcasts. Our next edition will be on learning and development when we catch up with top speakers from HRD 2008 our annual learning and development conference. Visit our website if you'd like to know more about the conference. Until next time, goodbye. You've
0: been listening to the CIPD podcast series.